Babel. As you may recognize, I'm not Chris. On this special holiday edition, we thought we would flip the script and we would ask Chris a little bit more about his astonishing career, uh, ask some of the tough questions as well, what's happening in recruiting and with contractors, as well as finally find out who is the best driver in the office. And my name is Megan. Helping me today is my colleague, Dali. Hi, Dali. Hi, thank you, Megan, and thank you, Chris, for having me on. I'm excited to get going and really dive into contract recruitment, your time at Oracle, motor racing, and everything in between. So, yeah, I think if we start with you and your journey from how it started to where you are now, and just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because back when I started, no one, no one, recruitment wasn't seen as a career. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't something. You know, I know, Dali, that. that you know, you in particular, you wanted to get into recruitment. That wasn't something that was necessarily there. Um, I turned up, got interviewed at a company that seemed to have lots of people with nice cars and a nice building and a nice environment. And I thought, well, it obviously can be quite good this. And that's that's how I started. I didn't have a really clue about recruitment. I'd never heard of it before. Um, so yeah, for me, it was a bit of a voyage into the complete unknown and discovery from there. And how has that changed from when you first started? So obviously now it being very much digital and marketing being just as important. <laughs> um, yeah, how how has it changed and how have you had to adapt? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I often describe myself as a as an analog recruiter in a digital world. You know, I got brought up where we didn't have emails, we didn't have mobile phones. Um, so it was all about the candidates you had. You know, there was no internet to advertise on. Um, or if it was, when did I start? Yeah, 1993. Um, the internet was very, very, you know, only only a few geeks used it and, and it wasn't anything that you could do anything with, really. Um, so, yeah, it was a very different environment. Then we had a fax machine, but you had a phone. I think I think one of the most interesting things is, is that you could pick up the phone and talk to people and people would answer the phone. Nowadays, it's very easy for for, for clients, candidates, for anyone actually, to look at the phone and go, oh, that's a phone call coming in for Dali, I don't want to answer it. Or, you know, I don't know who that is, I won't answer it. Um, going back then, in some ways, the phone was a lot easier for people to get hold of and, and talk through because you could just pick up the phone, someone would answer it. Um, you would find out, I mean, often, you know, contractors and, and whoever was at home, because um, you'd have a home number because people didn't have mobiles, um, whoever answered the phone would know all about the, their husband or their wife or their son or their daughter or whoever it was um was busy and they were busy until when so you'd call up and you get someone saying oh yeah he's on contract until june or you know whatever it was so in some ways the job was a lot easier particularly because there was only you know a couple of methods of communication a lot of postal stuff done um, a lot more was by reading material as in you know written magazines etc etc um, now I think part of the problem is it's so 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 wide, and, and and I know some of the work that, for example, you've been doing, Megan, which is very much more on the digital side. It's looking at who's been looking at our website, who's interested, who's responding to some of the things that we're doing, and that's a whole different world. None of that existed. None of that market intelligence existed. I mean, if anything, we're quite late to the party on that side. Um, but, it, but it has changed. And I said some of it's changed for the better, but some of it's changed for the worse. Um, you know, I do think that it's still about building relationships and talking to people. And it's very difficult to do that via email or by looking at a website. You know, it's much better to do it personally um, and, and using a phone for that. So, but in other ways, it's got a lot easier. You know, mobile phones have certainly helped quite a lot. So you can actually get hold of people and talk to them regardless of, of when that is. So, yeah, it's it's changed significantly. But technology is definitely part of what we need to try and harness and move forward with. 
I think Dolly and I can both agree that our best part of our day is actually talking to candidates and talking to clients and building those personal relationships. And yes, I think that it has gotten quite broad in the different forms of communication and everybody likes to communicate differently. Some people, it's only emails, other people's on the phone. But do you think that's where the importance of sort of niching down, like we've done at Axiometrics, to really be a speciality recruiter for uh, utilities and telco enterprise professionals? Um, do you think that that's really the strategy behind that? How did you, when you started growing Axiometrics, decide this is our niche and this is where we want to want to position ourselves? Yeah, I mean, I've got to say my entire career almost sounds like an accident because, you know, I got into this almost by accident. I was um, lucky enough to join STL, um, which was a small software company. Actually, it was formed in South Africa, um, one of the oldest software companies in the world, 1969, I believe it was formed. Um, so older than Microsoft, older than Facebook, you know, I mean, way older than, say, Facebook, et cetera, but, you know, a real, real early early company. Um, I got brought in to do recruitment. They're trying to expand EMEA at the time. And so I got brought in because I could do recruitment. I actually didn't know anything about utilities apart from having paid the odd electricity bill um, or gas bill or water bill, whatever it was. But I didn't actually know anything about it. But uh, I think still one of the most important things is that it's it's not about matching just words. Um, whilst that, that forms part of it to make a decision, you know, if someone doesn't have, for example, CCMB, then they're not going to be good for a CCMB role. But if they've got strong utilities, then they're still good for the utilities market. So whilst there's still that, that, that word searching, what most of it is, is about finding people and finding the right people with the right attributes and the right skills and the right outlook to go forward with. Um, and that can only really come from having a conversation, um, not having just a CV in front of you. So, uh, yeah, it's it's that's how I got into SPL, which then got bought by Oracle. Um, and then I joined Oracle. And then when I left Oracle, it was a natural thing to get into. I knew most of the people. I knew most of the ecosystem. And I knew most of the technology and, and, and also the, the, the client side of it, you know, what clients were looking for. Whilst I hadn't spent much time on that, having dealt and spoke to all these people, that's what it was. And recruitment hasn't changed in 30 years that what people want is they don't want a body to join a project they want a person to join a project that person contributes and how they do things and why they say things and how they approach problems and how they approach solutions and how they do with other team members it's all about people so a cv can never explain that to you and give you a flavor but it's the person that's 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 really important. So yeah, that's that that's how I got into it. You know, I didn't grow up thinking, oh, I want to be a utilities billing recruitment consultant. You know, I wasn't running around the playground wishing that that's what I was going to become. Um, but as I said, back then recruitment wasn't really a, you know, it wasn't spoken about, and and it was, you know, everyone I knew got into recruitment almost by accident. Um, whereas it has changed over the last, certainly the last 15 and 20 years to actually been seen as a career for people to get into. I think early 2000s is when it really started becoming a, this is a career that people will approach and try and get into. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my journey in a nutshell. And, you know, I like it because, you know, you know, lots of people, you get comfortable with that environment. Um, as I said, you know, it doesn't sound like the most, um, exciting or, 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 sexy industry but actually i kind of disagree with that with all the stuff that's happening now with electric vehicles with everyone wanting to try and you know help save the planet let's use less of our scarce resources water electricity gas energy being all of those actually it, it is quite a sexy area to be in and, and a lot of the companies that we're dealing with are trying to solve some of those problems 
Um, and yeah, okay, we still need the lights on. You know, Megan, I know you'll know. Um, <laughs> electricity in South Africa is a little bit of a uh, come and go commodity. Um, but again, you know, I think I think it's interesting, and, and I've said this before in, in, in other conversations. I actually think in some ways South Africa is getting a march on the rest of the world because because of your rolling um, turning off electricity at different times in different places. Then people have been forced into well self-generation batteries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So actually, South Africa is slowly becoming a much more resilient economy. As a result of it, it might not be seen as progress, but maybe in ten or twenty years we'll look back and go, "God, that was really good." You know, look how look how advanced you guys are because you've done all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, necessity necessity often forces things to to change. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, and I, I hope that only time will tell, but I hope that we will there. I know uh, many of my friends and family have put solar in as part of the solution for themselves, but also looking to put it back into the grid. And I know that in your conversations you've been having with your podcast guests that, you know, that provides a whole new area of challenges for for utilities company and monitoring not just what is being produced, but what's being put back into the system by essentially now private individuals. Mm, yeah, and it has, you know, it has huge knock-on effects. I mean, one of the things I never realized until I was talking to people about it more recently is that the problem with you producing electricity on your micro scale is that if the company comes along and goes, right, we've had a problem on the line, we want to switch off the electricity, whereas before you would switch it off where it gets generated and therefore there would be no flow of electricity in that direction. Now you switch off where it's generated, but you can still grab hold of, of the wires and... You know, there's nothing coming from the power plant, but there's 10 houses that are producing it. So if someone gets hold of those, those are live wires, you know. It, it, so what I'm saying is, is that it's had advances, but there's also problems with it there. You know, it's something I'd never thought about. Gosh, yeah, you know, you can't just switch the electricity off now. Um, actually, in the UK, I believe that you do because you need electricity. You need mains electricity to allow your home grid to produce electricity back into the grid. So if the mains electricity is off, it stops them pushing any electricity into into the system, which is kind of sounds a little bit odd, doesn't it? So if we have a power cut, I can't use any of my self-producing electricity because there's no mains to keep it going. So I, I I don't quite understand all of that stuff. But that's 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 what I'm saying. You know, there's some interesting challenges that come as a result of it. And I think the industry is always evolving. Um, and and that you know as I said that's particularly on the electricity side. Water's got a whole different set of problems with scarcity of that. Um, you know we've seen the, the the recent problems with gas in terms of Ukraine. You know a war in Ukraine, Russia turns the pipeline off. Suddenly gas prices go up through the roof. So there's all these all these things together. And you know as I said I think the world will be very different in in sort of you know our children's children's future. Um, you know they'll look back and think, gosh, you know did we do the right thing or did we do the wrong thing? I don't know. In terms of in terms of what you say with everything that's going on in utilities and it's always evolving, how much of that do you think Oracle are at the forefront of leading the technology and leading the way for the smaller businesses to sort of follow suit? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Oracle is one, one of the major players on that side of it because they've really realized that all of these things, you know, it's, it's, it's enabling companies to do this. Um, you get what they call analysis, paralysis analysis or analysis paralysis, where you've got so much data, you don't quite know what to do with it. And that's where a big company like Oracle can come along and say, okay, look, this is this is giving you all this information, so you can now start doing things with it. Um, a lot of the push with, with the likes of Oracle is, is the operational technology side, so the OT side, which is to do with, okay, what happens if the grid goes down? How do we deal with that one? What happens if we've got to get engineers out? Who do we need? What do we need? When do we need? 
there's a whole different set of technologies that's coming through and it, it, it's things that in the uk we certainly don't see too much of because we don't have earthquakes we don't have um you know forest fires we don't have um yeah natural disasters which come along tornadoes etc etc that, that that rip out the network but obviously in lots of other places in the world that's a major problem um so yeah you know there's some really good stuff out there and i think the technology really does it helps companies understand part of it is they're producing all of this and they don't know what it is i mean if we take the water industry as a good example i started working when i was a student i had a job with anglian water fitting water meters um and part of the reason for that whilst it was hated because everyone just paid a standing order yes you pay you know 10 pounds a month or i have no idea what it was 30 years ago um but there was no concept of measuring the amount of water you used it was just seen as a free resource the problem with that one is is that you've got no idea whether the thousand liters that you're producing at the at the plant how much of that's getting to the customers if only if only 50 percent of that's getting to the customers you're basically spending a lot of time and money to produce something that isn't used and is just thrown away um you know at least if it goes through a meter you can then start measuring it so whilst whilst those might be seen as negatives where suddenly oh you have to pay for what you're using actually the reality is that the companies are trying to move forward and actually measure these things so they can then understand you know if there's a thousand liters goes in and at the first meter point there's only 700 liters that arrive you know where you know where the problem is whereas before there was none of that so all of this data is there it's just what you try and do with it and that's where some of these companies have got some very powerful tools to allow you to to interpret that otherwise you get all this information you don't know what to do with it and it's quite complex putting it all together um you know in theory it's quite a simple process in reality it's anything but so it's, it's so true and talking about like finding damages in a pipeline you know when a natural disaster hits there could be multiple damage points in different places and i just think of you know the us um often experiences hurricane season and flooding as well as earthquakes and, and to be able to mobilize so quickly to get really vital resources back to the community, back to the emergency services and all of that. I know uh, Texas has got a special place in my heart. I know you were there recently at the Oracle head, head office offices. Tell us a little bit more about that, that conference that you went to there. Yeah, I mean, this was this was really trying to help partners become enabled and, and, and work with, you know, knowing what's out there. I think part of this problem is if you don't know what there is there, you then don't know what to try and talk to customers about or try and contribute towards the system. And there's this whole level, you know, Oracle in particular has got one of the, the, the full suites across all the different parts of the technology stack that, that the companies could want. Um, so that was that was quite impressive seeing that. Um, it was quite impressive going to the Oracle headquarters. I know they used to be in San Francisco. I never had a chance to go there, but just being there, you know. But Texas, Texas is one of the fastest growing places. But again, that might create some problems that that, that need to be resolved. One of the big things is the use of O power, um, which is basically trying to persuade people not to use so much of a finite resource. So, you know. The utilities industry is very, very weird in that it actually spends money trying to convince customers not to use their product um, or not to use as much of it, um, which just seems completely contrary to, to every other piece of capitalist thinking that we have and every other company that's out there. Um, but it goes to show that, you know, companies are, are understanding that this is a problem and really pushing towards them. And it's not just government legislation coming along. We need to, you know, become greener or we need to reduce the amount we're using or we need to, uh, you know, reduce the amount of 
uh, carbon dioxide that's been produced by a car, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not just that. You know, there is actually the industry is actually trying to do that as well. So that's always healthy. You know, if it's just legislation that's driving something, there's always a concern. But actually, when the industry is pushing it in that direction, it's 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 pretty handy too. Um, so yeah, that's 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 quite interesting. So that 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 was what part of Texas was was, was about. Um, seeing that, you know, it was nice as well, eating quite a bit of meat out there. There was, um, yeah, that was certainly that was certainly an enjoyable time out there with all the smokers. So um, yes, there we are. Looking forward to, uh, yeah, going back in 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 March when the next customer edge is out there and um, yeah, meeting up with some people then. I think the O power stuff's really cool, especially now in a time where the cost of living has gone up so much and people are so like cautious about what they're actually spending their money on. Um, mm. That is really cool. So it's definitely something that we should speak more about, about what we can do. And yeah. if not, people should go out and research it. Yeah, because that's really good. I mean, with all the stuff that Oracle are doing, I just wanted to speak to you and just sort of, see, I know they operate a large scale of contractors and that's massive. Does that surprise you for a company that big or are they recognizing the potential in using the contractors? Um, what's the situation with that? Yeah, I mean, contractors are always, it's, it's, it's a slightly interesting conversation because I was out at Enlit a couple of weeks ago in Paris, and a lot of the companies there, they don't want to use contractors. They want people to join them on a permanent basis, and and I appreciate that that's certainly what they want to do, and I do believe that's part of a company's growth to do that. But there comes a point where actually a lot of these contractors don't want to be working for one company forever. They want to be doing the implementation, or they want to be doing the analysis, or they want to be doing the migration, or they only want to be doing one specific part. And of course, if you work for a company that's that's bringing a product in, usually they'll only do one part of that for a period of time, and then it moves on to something else. And a lot of these people out there as contractors are highly specialists. They want to be doing the bits that they know and they love and they enjoy, um, which means that they'll be somewhere for a period of time, but then they're looking to move on from there. Um, and therefore, you get well, actually what's a highly highly intelligent set of people with lots and lots of experience um it's interesting there's 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 two or three things there's a book by matthew saeed called rebel ideas um and what they're talking about is how the it industry in the us used to be based very much around massachusetts but everyone there if you work for a company it doesn't matter who it was call it ibm i know they were around then but you you were actively um encouraged not to mix with anyone else you couldn't go down the pub and have a chat with someone else from a different company and if you did actually that was seen as as almost treason um and the reason why san francisco became the tech hub was because everyone were out there and then they'd be sitting there and they'd go down the go down to the bar or the pub or whatever it was or you know whatever whatever environment there was that wasn't work and they'd meet up with others. And whilst people wouldn't discuss trade secrets, what they would do is they'd talk about a problem and someone would say, oh, well, we've been trying to do that. Have you tried doing this? And so what would happen is that whilst that seems like you're giving the competition a direction forward, if they went off and did that and did that better and, and, and produce a result, then people would go there, learn that, and then come back. So the whole ecosystem accelerates much more quickly. Um, and what's quite interesting, there was an article I read just this week where um, local to us, there's a highly sensitive government site where they do a lot of, um, shall we say, high level tech stuff, which is to do with national security. And part of the problem they found is that they've been left behind because there's no way that they can cross pollinate ideas. They've only got themselves to look at. 
So they become very inward looking and actually what they need is our external people to learn from and external companies with other experiences to come into it. So I found that very interesting that that's, that's, that's something that's helped the sort of industry grow. Um, and yet now we're trying to do the same thing with national security, which seems slightly, slightly at odds. You know, you've got different things that are trying to happen. There. Um, but um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting seeing how the industry needs to needs to evolve and and, and adapt, um, and and how those ideas come in is 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 kind of fairly critical. And that's why getting together and talking to lots of other customers and, and being in the same places actually the whole ecosystem improves massively as a result of it. I can't remember what the question was, Darley, that I'm trying to answer. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's just about Oracle using contractors and the scale of them. I mean, that's right. What, that's what percentage right. of um, Oracle is made up for contractors? I think it's something ridiculously high, right? Well, it's yeah. I wouldn't say it's ridiculously high. I would say in any company, it's somewhere around about ten percent. And and obviously. If you're a company of 10 people, that's one person who might be temporary. If you're a company of 1,000, well, that's a bigger number. If you're 100,000, it's a bigger number. So, you know, somewhere around about that is always seen as healthy. And that's sorry. So what I was saying about this is that if you get people who've only ever worked for one company or one project or one one idea, they've got nothing to try and bring to it. All they've got is that one set of thinking about it. Whereas if they've worked in four or five different companies, projects, skills, technologies, whatever it is, they can bring all those ideas together. And that's where contractors can be pretty, pretty valuable because they haven't just learned one thing. They haven't just learned one way. Um, you know, we always used to be looking for and, and, and any project manager I was talking to said, oh, I want someone who's worked on at least three different implementations. Well, how do you get to three different implementations? Well, you've got to move around and get that. And the reason why they want people with three different implementations is that they've then got other ideas. They've got different ways of looking at problems rather than just looking at it with one set of this is my constrained thinking. Um, so that's that's the reason why it gets quite important. As I said, contractors give you that because they won't be necessarily 10 or 15 years with one company. They'll have worked at other places. They'll have other experience that they can bring in and ideas that will be things that you maybe haven't thought about and that's what you need to try and advance and that's where your biggest changes can be made so yeah i think i think you know contractors have a very very important part to play and any company that sits there and says well we won't use contractors actually they're creating their own problem um because they'll get people who join them and then leave quite quickly because a the thinking's maybe too constrained or actually they don't want to be doing that they want to move on that causes some problems you know people become key whereas if they're a contractor they can be key but at least they know that they're, they're, they're there for a period of time so there's always that view on it i think sometimes when people join a company permanently some people think that they're going to be there forever and then are very surprised when they leave um but that's a that's a whole different set of of, of circumstances there that's a, that's a management issue as well um so yeah i love this idea that contra contractors are like cross-pollinating different ideas into companies and that can be highly highly valuable and having those different skill sets come in and even imparting some of that knowledge before moving on to their next is next project could be a huge advantage for any any company out there. Uh, really, my question is, what do you think some companies kind of have maybe misconceptions or concerns about bringing contractors on? What kind of concerns do you think that they have? Um, unfounded concerns is what I would say, <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, um, 
there's no difference if someone joins your company on a permanent basis or a contract basis. In some ways, if you're there on a contract basis and you've been offered a 12-month contract, you're probably going to be needed for 12 months. If someone joins, you're only on four weeks' notice You know, in, in most parts of the world or maybe less, depending on where you are. Um, I think there's also a conception that the contractors are expensive. But if you just look at the headline, yes, they are expensive. But then if you take on board all the costs of having people on board, you know, a permanent person has a significant cost base on top of that. You've got management time, you've got HR time, you've got payroll time, you've got holiday time, you've got sickness time, you've got training time. The benefits of having a contractor is that you don't, you know, if they're not working, they're not getting paid. Um, and the whole point is they should be highly skilled, so you're not having to necessarily train them. The question then comes, how do, tra how do contractors actually ever move from being where they were 10 years ago to where they are now? Well, technology moves forward. They needed to do that. But a lot of people will invest in their own career and their own time but into learning new things. They go off and do that because they understand as a commodity they need to keep moving forward. Um, so again, you know, you're not paying for all of that as a, as a company. So I think it's very easy to sit there and just look at the headline cost. But when you actually look at what they you know, drill down into it um, and actually the real management costs and the real ecosystem costs in the company to keep people aboard, you know, contractors aren't free either because there's obviously some, some management that's needed, some time that's needed, invoices still need to get processed and paid. Although from our point of view, you know, if we can put that all together, we send one invoice rather than having to have 10, 20 or 30 different invoices going out. So we try and help that side of it. You know, you've got you've got a situation where your actual management overhead needs to be much much lower, and also you don't need to worry necessarily about trying to give them a career progression or a they want to become management or they want to do something else. Fine, if you want to do that, you know, let's finish the contract and off you go and go and do that. So it's it's yeah, it's a different way of of, of looking at people. Um, but anyone who who thinks that there isn't space for contractors is probably not understanding. What, what value they can bring so the misconception is they just don't they don't necessarily see it but you know if someone's worked for 20 years for the same company don't expect them to come in with lots of different ideas um you know might be different if they work for a consulting organization where they're seeing lots of other places but they'll also be very much this is the way that we've always done it here now that isn't bad um but there's not necessarily as much broad thinking to give you those ideas to get you know to take things forward I know, Chris, I know you mentioned then about contractors sort of investing in themselves in new skills. Obviously, as a commodity, they need to make themselves more valuable. How much of it from our side of things is that our job to sort of provide clients with a good commodity, but also a good service? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's important that we do that. And this is part of where the conversations happen and, and you know, giving advice. You know, we are we are a recruitment consultancy. We're not just a CV passing service. And I think that's where there's a lot of, you know, um, wrong conceptions about about what we do because part of it is seeing what other people are doing part of it's understanding where the market's going where should the next skills be what should you be learning um you know we're seeing this particularly in in, in oracle with the change from cc and b you know it's c2m it's ccs how do you get there how do you understand those new skills how do you get to that point where's the market going and that's something that we should be we should always be looking to, to to add that value in we know a little bit about it we can tell where customers are wanting you know if you suddenly see 100 requirements coming through for ccs and one for ccmb that gives you some idea about what the customer base are doing and not everyone can see that because you get very 
um, focused on where you are and what you're doing. And it's very difficult to keep on top of everything. You know, we know this, that in this world, there's an awful lot of information that's out there. And how do you make sense of all of that information? Um, you know, if we wanted to research everything on utilities, I'm sure all three of us could spend 12 hours a day reading articles and never do a piece of work. And we could do that 12 hours a day every day for years. You know, you've got to try and work out what it is and, and, and where it's going. So that's part of our job is to pass that knowledge on both to contractors and to clients about what we see, what trends we see. You know, there's a huge emergence of sales force within the utility space now. Um, that wasn't necessarily seen by ourselves or our clients maybe five or six years ago but you know there's a big expansion because obviously now selling electricity gas and, and water there's very little money in actually doing that because the margins need to be so tight because everything's got so expensive so you can't make lots of money by doing that so then they have to look at well how else can we make money what other value adds can we add in there so salesforce has suddenly come striding along saying hey here we are we've got this suite of products if you salesforce then you can sell double glazing or you can sell you know a, a different fridge because your old fridge uses too much electricity um or you know have you thought about putting more insulation and all these other things so they all become the ways that, that the companies are looking so yeah you know along comes one product but actually something else comes along you know and if you don't if you're not aware of that then it can be catching you as a surprise yeah and in terms of obviously you specialize in recruiting you've been doing it for years and you specialize in building teams for other people but as a business owner how does your approach change when you're building your own team what do you look for i know you said about investing in people but mm. just how important are interpersonal skills and how much do you have to bond with someone for them to be a vital part of your team um i think you don't necessarily need to bond with someone um i think that's something that you can't do instantly um it's it's something that you build up with people you know a little bit like the first person that you go out and have a cup of coffee with when when when, when you're dating you don't think well i'm going to marry you um you know you don't get to that point straight away after the first the first time it's something that gets built up but certainly what it is it's about building people with the right ideas and the right direction and the and the actual burning desire to try and make the product better to try and help the system some of the most exciting conversations i've had with people and of and and, and of late with other conversations we're having have been about how to make how to how to contribute back in how to try and make this whole system better how to improve the product how to help customers more you have to have that side um this isn't just i mean from our point of view we are ultimately salespeople. our job is to sell and 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 that is kind of what recruitment is seen as but i actually think that the sales part whilst it's incredibly important what we need to be doing we need to be helping customers and if we're helping customers yes then we need to be trying to help them get the right people so it becomes sales but sales because what we're trying to provide is an excellent customer service um, and if we can give them the great customer service then everything else is fine and if you get the right passionate people who can sit down and want to make things better and really live breathe and understand the system then that's fantastic and, and, and this is where it gets quite interesting actually is that we talk about having an oracle specialist yes we've got oracle specialists but the reality is the utility specialists they happen to know the oracle product but actually they could also know other products because in some ways oracle is just the commodity that it gets plugged into so understanding utilities you know understanding the fact that there are scarce resources or that electric vehicles are coming along so how energy is produced and how it's consumed are changing on, on almost a 
a daily basis you know it used to be that oh yeah we'll just turn on our, our washing machine and do things overnight because that's when cheap electricity is now well hold on a second now with solar panels well overnight is not the time to be having it actually the mass production is during the day so instead of putting things on in the evening or overnight when traditionally you'd have the power companies with their big coal fired or nuclear or whatever that you can't just turn on and turn off at the flick of a switch you're getting all this excess electricity or excess energy being produced so we're having to change all of that so that's something that's evolving um and it's evolving constantly so yeah you know people who understand that then the product that they're using in some ways becomes less so what what people do want is they want at an enterprise level, they don't want to have 10 different systems that we're trying to stitch together. If we think about ourselves and our journey right now with trying to change our, our platform, our CRM, our African tracking system, et cetera, et cetera, we could have stayed with what we have at this moment in time and added this bit on and added that bit on. And then suddenly you have 10 different systems and you've got to get all those to work together. If you can go to one platform that has everything, you've got a massive advantage at that point because the idea is it's all on the same platform, so it's easy. Um, but you know what, there's very successful companies out there that are using Oracle for part of it or aren't using it for the billing system yet are using it for their network management or their workforce management. So you don't have to have all of it from one particular product or for, for, for one particular company. You can jot around. So that's what I'm saying. You know, most of the people that we've got are utility specialists. The fact that they're plugged into Oracle is, is perhaps a legacy from Chris Weatherall. Um, but actually, most of these people, they understand the business, so they can understand other other products and technologies as well and how that works. Uh, I think you've sort of touched on something really important there, and that is, you know, when it comes down to working with our clients, it's really finding out exactly what they're looking for and the technical skills. We can find them the enterprise billing uh, specialist that they are looking for with the combination that they're looking for because that's where we target and that's all our focus is on and it's really about deeply understanding and adding value to our clients and getting to know exactly what they're looking for so we can also make a good match for our contractors as well because I know that's something that we take on we want to make sure that our contractors are happy that that when they finish their one contract, we can help them find something else. And it also, when we have a long-standing relationship with a contractor, we know that we have faith that we've got the credibility and we know that they're good for their next role uh, and sort of bringing that all together. And I know that, you know, we're working towards the consultancy side of it and being a, speci a specialist in the consultancy area as well. Do you want to share a little bit of insights into that for 2024? Yeah. I mean, this is this is sort of if you want moving ourselves up a little bit in terms of rather than putting a body into a project to fill a hole it's more now saying well look you know can we help you produce a team can we can we actually deliver a solution to you rather than delivering bodies so there's a little bit of a change on that side but again what we're seeing here and and, and with the people that we're talking to right now the idea is 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 trying to align not just with the utilities, but the utilities and the telco, two big areas, but also crossing over. What we're seeing, for example, uh, Primavera, which is one of the big construction project management tools, is being brought now much more into utilities because obviously utilities are doing big, effectively, construction projects. So suddenly that then ties together with another one of the Oracle systems. So it's bringing all of these things together, the same thing with the Salesforce side of stuff. 
um, you know, really trying to make very, very strong relationships there so that we know the team and we know all the different aspects that need to come together in, in, in one particular place to try and help the client be successful. And that's what it is, you know, trying to develop that side of it. Um, and rather than just being seen as, as just, oh, we'll just give a body, it's more now about actually, you know, see us as more of a strategic partner that, that, that we can work with you with and, and, you know, help be responsible for the success of the project rather than just giving you a body and letting you get on with it. Um, so I think that's very exciting. Again, it comes down to the sort of customer service side of things, trying to give our customers what what they probably need to be successful. And I say probably because maybe they don't need that. Maybe all they do want is a body. Fine, that's not a problem with that side of it. But actually, what what you know what we're quite doing is putting the right mix of people together to give you the right results, um, and that's a real skill in itself. It was certainly something that I was very responsible for when in the early days of SPL and Oracle um, was very much building that team and knowing that you know if you put Dali together to work with Megan, unless Dali had very specific ideas about what to do, it would become a nightmare. Or you know if you give Megan the whole project she'll struggle so you need to break it down and, and and it's things you know it's things like that you get to know what people are good at and are bad at but i also believe that contractors can often be just picked up and dropped and actually they don't necessarily get that same continuity about perhaps where their strengths have been and perhaps where some of the weaknesses are um and you often learn more from your failures or your weaknesses than you do from your strengths so, you know, being able to give that type of long-term knowledge, I mean, I remember having this with a client where I said, look, with this particular person, if X happens, these are the reasons why. So if X happens, don't hide away, come and talk to me, we can then go off and then we can address it. And a year later on, exactly that situation happened. And, and the client, you can sort of see thinking, hmm, yeah, okay, that was pretty handy because I was warned that if this happened, that would happen. And that's exactly what did happen. So again, it's making sure that there aren't any surprises out there. Um, and when you work with people for a long period of time, you know that, you know, and you see them grow. I think I think what I've also seen, which is a dangerous thing, is where a client takes on someone that they used to know from 10 years ago and expects them to be the same person from 10 years ago. And of course, that person has grown immensely. Um, and they're not the person they knew 10 years ago. They're still the same person with attributes but their skills and their ability to deliver has changed significantly over that time and that's always part of that seeing people progress um, and understanding that they've grown um, that's something which is which is key um, and and you know I've seen it both good and bad where clients have said oh I don't like that person because they weren't very good and it's like yeah but that was that was a long time ago you know they were a designer at that time they've they've moved on from there and now they're at this level if you think of them as that person it's a bit like saying oh my kid's still a six-year-old the fact that they're 26 you know you're still thinking they're running around going mummy daddy and you can pick them up no you know they've grown they're they're, they're, they're different people you need to understand that um and i think i think that's 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 part of part of the the, the interest and we're dealing with people for a long period of time that's that's pretty good but yeah building putting putting the right teams together is always you know it's 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 partially dating you know it's partially getting the right people to work together um and that's not always easy and and you know you can't always have people that are you know an exact match you have to you know there's always going to be a compromise but again as i said that brings in different ideas just because you've always done it this way doesn't mean that you're necessarily right and there isn't a better way to do it so it's it's trying to help and build that that's interested on the consultancy side of things because it's it's a lot about 
not only knowing what the role is and who you need, but why you need this person and why what is happening right now with you. And then that sort of helps us anticipate where they're going to be in two months, in three months, who they're going to need. Mm. And then we can get a head start mm. on saying if you've had a project manager today in two months' time, I know that you're probably going to need a test manager. You're going to need some testers. And then two months' time comes around and then I've already spoken to them. I already know the top five people in the market who are actively looking what they would need for and if your project is going to be suited for them so just working with the same consultancy the whole way through just allows it to be a smooth transition and i think it just sort of emphasizes back to your point about building relationships and making sure you have that mutual understanding together and yeah i mean i know we worked a lot about our gold service and what we can do and sort of a gold client and yeah i think consultancy is definitely something that we will be pushing I think it goes on from there, though, darling. And these are the conversations I'm having with people right now is that companies don't want to have to buy lots of little bits from different places. So part of what I'm trying to put together here is the fact that they can come to us and they can get all the things that they need, but with that level of knowledge and experience there to know the good people, to know the bad people. So it means that when they come to it, then we can put all this stuff together. But it's also using technology. You know, you mentioned there the testing side. You know, we've got we've got a team of testers that are doing some very, very good work and I've been loved because they are doing a lot of the automated testing and the tools they bring. And it's not the individuals that are bringing them. You know, they're bringing them because we've got the right people with the right background, with the right skills, coming from the right place with the right technology there to help them do that. And it's delivering great results for the client rather than thinking, oh, we'll just bring this in and we'll invent this ourselves. You know, there's plenty of tech that, that, that should be used. You know, we're talking about how, uh, you know, the marketing side of things and understanding when people are looking at even our website or emails, etc., how that's helping us. The same thing here. If everyone wants to invent the wheel themselves, they can do, but it's going to take them a lot longer. And ultimately, they're going to make a lot of mistakes to end up in the same place come and get a contractor, come and get, come and talk to us about what it is, and we can probably help you get to that end result much quicker. Um, it's interesting as well, because there's also a conception here about the headline rate. You know, you could get someone from a low-cost country who's going to be half the price of someone from a high-cost country. And if they're both delivering the same level and quality and service, then what's the point? I 100% agree with that one. But if you want to compare someone from a low-cost country coming in with the same knowledge, skills and experience and the ability to actually turn around and say, we should be doing this rather than, yes, we'll do it that way, um, it's a very, very different proposition at that point. And I think that's part of it. You know, there's definitely places for high-cost high, high resources and there's definitely a place for lower-cost resources. I won't say there's ever cheap resources. You know, resources, if they're cheap, you've probably got to question why they're cheap. Um, they should always be good value resources. And that's exactly it. There should be a value in there. Um, you know, I prefer, and, and, and I think where we were certainly successful, um, I, I would say towards the beginning of, of all of this work, was having a smaller team, but a team who really knew what they were doing, rather than a large team where perhaps people are busy trying to get to the end goal rather than working out are they going in the right direction or is there a better way to do it or again using the technology or coming up with some clever ideas we had a huge project out in in holland at the blassendines the dutch tax authority which seems like an odd thing to talk about in utilities but realistically it was a customer care and billing system that they were implementing there and they used oracle for that 
Um, and a big part of what they were doing is rather than creating new algorithms, it was all about code reuse. How could you take two bits of code and stitch them together to give you the result rather than having to be, create a, a totally different, what they call plugins. So, you know, rather than going and coding a new plugin, use two, two plugins and put them together or use three to create the same result. That way then, you know, it was it was it was pretty impressive to do that side of it. And again, looking at different things, where did that idea come from? I don't know, but it was a pretty clever one. Um, and I think, like most ideas, when we look at it, we go, "Oh, that was simple. Why didn't we think about that?" But that's often the thing, you know. Then the simple ideas that, that that come back, and and you know, I'm seeing some of this style, you know, with yourself, for example. You've been doing some training, and you're coming along to me, and you're coming up with some ideas, and I'm sitting there thinking, "That's pretty good." I haven't thought about that, and that's because you can often become so um, set in your ways, and and I'm not sitting there saying, "Oh yeah, I'll sit here and this is the only way that you can do it." No, not at all. Yeah. There's plenty of other ways. As I said, you know, why employ bright people and then tell them what to do? No, you know, you guys are coming in. You know, you're the next generation coming through. Um, you know, and and therefore, right, let's follow and listen to what you're trying to do and what you're seeing. Um, and I think that's something that's that, that, that's very very key to do there. Um, and then you can gain things from that. So it's keeping that open mind as well about stuff. Um, so you know, when you were talking about me trying to grow the team, that's that that's part of it. You know, um, Megan, you know, you're a you're a you're a remote resource in South Africa, um, and you're brought in on the sales side. Yet you know, a lot of what you're educating us about is the whole the whole marketing side of things and, and what we should be doing. And it's kind of like, gosh, a whole dark art out there. Um, and this particularly where with some of the people, some of the recruitment founders that I've been dealing with, um, Rec Bound's an organization which try and help smaller smaller companies. And when I started talking to them, they were talking about all these things like Duck Soup and HubSpot and Apollo and, you know, insert this name here. And I was just sitting there thinking, I've never even heard of one of these. It was like a whole different level of knowledge that's out there. And everyone was talking about it as if I should know about it. And I didn't know because I didn't know that, you know, and I'd never gone searching for it because I didn't know I should be searching for it. So how did I get that? Did Chris Weatherall go off and search all this stuff? No, I didn't. I joined, spoke, learned, contributed ideas, learned ideas, et cetera, et cetera. So you get that whole ecosystem. Um, and that's where it gets quite interesting. And so, you know, with this whole growth idea, it's trying to bring all those ideas together and actually taking very much ideas from one industry and can we apply those in a different industry? But it's also part of this is this customer services for industry, providing all that suite of, of services underneath that. We already do that quite quite majorly across, you know, the utilities, the telco, construction, hotel, food and beverage. Um, so that's quite a wide ranging set of set of things that we're doing there. But again, we're seeing a lot of commonality across what, what's been needed there. Um, you know, the construction was seen as something that wouldn't come into utilities, but now it's it's getting a lot closer. So bringing all those things together. I mean, I know you spoke about Recbound there, and obviously you lean on Andy as well and use Andy for his services. And so you're not afraid to lean on people that can offer you advice and help you grow as a business. Is that something that you've learned from motor racing? Is that, or is that something you've adopted yourself? <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of it is you can't do it all yourself. You know, um, motor racing I do tends to be a team thing and therefore you can't do it. You know, you need to have the right team of people around you. And it's also paying attention to all those little things there. Um, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily bring it all on. And this is something that I'm certainly aware of. 
Um, and I think when you try and grow initially, you think that you're, you're, you're elastic and you can do everything yourself, but there's only so far you can go. Um, and again, as I said, you know, what's the point of, of employing bright people and then telling, tell them what to do? Yes, I can give guidance. Yes, I can give direction. Yes, I can give goals and I can give aspirations. But how you get there is, 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 is up to you, you know, and it's up to, up to you to help us get there. I don't know the best. And I've seen this before with people where I've tried doing things and then someone else has come along and they've tried to do exactly the same thing as I have and they've been successful, whereas I've been unsuccessful. And, and I remember the first time that happened to me very vividly. It was like, right, so just because I tried something and it didn't work doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Perhaps I didn't apply it properly. And someone else came along and did almost exactly the same thing and w was very successful. So I think you have to learn that and be humble about it. Um, at the end of the day, I'm quite happy. And, you know, I've said this, said this to everyone else. This is where we're trying to get to. Here's some methods that will work to get you there. If you can come up with a better way that gets us there quicker, go for it. But with the same token, I know that by doing these steps to get there, you will get there. So if you don't do those steps and you don't get there, don't then come and say to me, well, why is it I'm not, you know, I'm not getting there. So part of that is knowledge and experience. Um, you know, it's that whole thing, isn't it? Your parents say, don't put your, you know, don't put, don't, don't put your tongue on too uh, ice cold metal because it'll stick to it. Well, I know I had to work out whether that was true or not by doing exactly that thing. Um, and, and, you know, there is a little bit of actually, you know, you learn more from some of your mistakes than you do necessarily from some of your successes. I don't know in my career, you know, perhaps my biggest and steepest learning curves has been with the mistakes. Um, but you, you know, the best thing to do is not be scared of making mistakes um, and learn from them and then apply that knowledge going forward. Um, and in some ways, that's where the contract is quite useful. They can be in a project where there was a mistake. They've learned from that. They can bring that knowledge in, you know, and that's why that's why actually people who have moved around and seen both the good and the bad are very, very valuable resources to have. So you can sit there and go, hold on a second. We tried this and it didn't work. You can then sit down and go, okay why didn't it work and, and it could be that you didn't apply that knowledge in the right way as i said my idea i had and i tried and it didn't work i obviously didn't apply it in the right way because when someone else did it it was successful so not just dismissing that you know it's been open and understanding that um and i think that's where most of the successful projects and companies have come from you know good strong leadership but you bring good people in who can then get you there and come up with ideas you know the idea of the code and the plugin reuse that didn't come out of someone sitting there going oh i say oh, i'm bored let's come up with something you know the the you know for the devilment of it no it was done to try and solve a business process and it was very successful um and and like all of these things it only needs a couple of small changes to make a very big difference at the end of it and what do you think like going back to obviously with the motor racing side of things i mean that's interesting on how it shaped you and your approach to teamwork but obviously with motor racing you rub shoulders with a lot of rich people and is there anything that you've learned from people that you've met there what has it taught you personally a huge amount uh, yeah absolutely huge amount um most people are very very driven and motivated about what they're doing they're passionate i would say the biggest thing is is they implement they have an idea and they get on with it and they keep working on that idea and if it's the right idea the, their approach might be wrong so they they're not scared to, to change their approach but again they're not scared to sit there and admit if they've made a mistake and learn from that you know when i go around a corner in a car if someone else is going around the corner quicker i don't sit there and go oh but i'm right and you're wrong 
you know, you've got evidence there. You've got, you know, something tangible. Again, we talk about data and analysis of that. You know, a lot of motor racing is exactly that, analyzing the data and coming up with it. But it's very empirical. If someone can go around the corner quicker than I can, I should be doing what they're doing. So don't be scared to sit there and go, okay, what I'm doing is wrong. Let's change and adapt. Um, and that's one of the fastest things. But it's also about getting the team to work together and repetition and practice, but building a building a very good system. It was interesting. We took part in a 24-hour race last year, and we knew that pit stops were going to be incredibly important during that time. And, and getting getting a chap like me in and out of the car, whilst I wasn't necessarily the largest one, um, I'm not exactly a small unit. And we practiced, practiced, practiced. And you could see the other members of the team and the, the pit crew sort of rolling their eyes when we were doing another practice and, and talking about, OK, can we make a little difference here? Can we do that? But then when it got to the race and suddenly we were turning the car around much quicker than everyone else, you could see all the, the pit members suddenly the chest swelling and the pride of getting the car in, servicing it, fueling it, changing the tyres, getting the driver in and getting it out far quicker than anyone else. You could see them all going, yeah we're good we know what we're doing you know and it was it was fantastic to see over what was a relatively short period of time um and and you know did that win us the race maybe it did the the, the whole thing is though is that everyone contributed towards that you know if you've got one quick driver great but if you've got you know three slow drivers and one quick driver you're never going to do that you know so it's getting all those right things in the right places and that's all it is it's about building a team and 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 you know part of that is having the right people but it's also about bringing others with you you know did we know that the pit crew was going to be any good no but guess what we worked with them we trained we helped we 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 made things repeatable we made things understandable we listened to ideas so when someone said actually what about us trying that we tried that you know and again fail fail fast very very important thing to do there try something if it works do more of it if it doesn't work change it and and that's i think some of the things i've learned very interesting sharing a car with a guy who's climbed everest um he's been in a situation where tiny little differences cumulatively add up and can be the difference between living or dying um and actually his attention to detail was huge and just tiny things which you think oh, don't need to worry but if you put enough of them together you can make a significant difference and that's something you know that's something i've learned as i said you know it's, yeah it's really given me a chance to, to to meet some very very successful people i've realized they don't all have a second head they don't all have a brain that you know sticks out the side of their head um you know and and all they've been is just very very driven about it but they've also implemented and executed very quickly um, and that's that's you know the same thing. If you see something, then 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 work on it. And I guess contract recruitment's very much like that as well. If a client's got a need, they've got a need now. There's no point coming back to them in six weeks and saying, "Oh right, yeah, that need you had." It's like no, it's gone by that point. You know, the the, the immediacy is there. Um, and obviously, from their point of view, you know, we've spoken about this from a project management point of view. Project managers' only job is to get a project delivered successfully. Um, and therefore, you know, what's huge about this is that Brian Smith was saying this in some of his chats with me, that if someone's delayed by one week and you've got a team of 50 people, that can then mean the whole project moves back one week, which when you've got 50 people on it is significant. So, you know, not having a contractor in, they might have been a thousand pounds a day or a thousand pounds. It doesn't matter what the figure is. They might have been seen as expensive. 
you can imagine what difference that makes. So again, it's understanding and it's working with those customers and helping them understand what are those critical things and the bits that we can do. Whilst there might be, you know, some of them might be small bits, they all add up to actually making a significant difference. And the fact that we payroll our contractors and pay them on time might just be seen as, oh, that's just one of those things. But you know what? If we didn't pay people regularly and we didn't pay them, you know, and we didn't pay them on time, then guess what? They'd be unhappy. If they're unhappy, they're not going to work well. If they're not going to work well, the project's not going to be successful. So whilst that might be only one tiny little part in the whole thing, it all adds up. Um, you know, and it's also what, what we're seeing a lot of now is that there's a lot of self-service coming through. Or you can find all this information on the internet. Um, one of the companies I work for, I called up the help desk and they said, oh, it's in the manual and it's on page 126. And I just said to the person, I said, are you seriously expecting me to A, go into the system, go through all the different pages and find this one document and get to page 126? And you could see him thinking, well, I couldn't see him at all because it was done on the phone. <laughs> but you could kind of hear the, the cogs turning around and we went, yeah, I see what you mean. It's like, you know, self-service is great, but sometimes you want to be able to pick up a phone. And I think that's also where we're, we're very approached on that one. We are humans. We are all here. We're all on the end of the phone. We're all, you know, able to do things. Um, you know, Andy made a comment that everyone in customer service should be more sales focused and everyone in sales should be a bit more customer service focused. And I think that's 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 very, very true. Um, but, you know, we are all here and we are all people and it is about a people business. Yeah, I think that yeah. sums it up perfectly. And it is a people business. And really throughout our conversation today, one thing that's really stuck out is about adding value, whether it's us adding value to clients, contractors adding value on their um, in their roles that they come into uh, speed like with driving recruitment you've got to be you've got to be quick to get high caliber clients and the, how we're able to do that is because we're constantly searching for them so we have candidates waiting on deck that we're able to react quickly and supply to our clients top quality candidates and then we are also looking this year to add more value to our growing community with the podcast, which I know you've really been enjoying doing, Chris, and I can't wait to hear the next season in 2024, as well as growing our Facebook community and bringing about a bit more online because with contractors, there is often remote working and sort of people moving across and we are international. We've got people on all corners of the globe working with Axiometrics and our clients alike and sort of bringing us all, all together because I think you've just nailed it on the head really. It's recruitment is about people and connecting with people and self-service gets to a point, but you want to pick up the phone, you want to call me, you can, you want to call Dali, you want to call Chris, we're going to answer, we're going to be there with you there every step of the way. Yeah. I like what you, um, what you said about the motor racing, about failing fast and um, obviously the work you've done with the pit crew. It's two things, I think, failing fast and getting out what you put in. So I remember that when I first spoke to a client and got my first requirement of him needing somebody, I was so excited that it happened and I was like, okay, you need this person, brilliant, bye. And I just did not take a detailed job spec at all. And then he was very busy. I couldn't get back in touch with him. And you you come back and you was like, oh, yeah, where is it? I was like, oh, I don't know. And you was like, okay, when does it start? I was like, oh, I don't know. And you was like, how long for? I was like, oh, I don't know. So I think failing fast and going back to them first sort of calls that I made, listening to them and then just sort of 
having that training with Jeremy, speaking with yourself, leaning on Andy, and then it's just sort of absorbing everything and then just amending what you've done. And then just making that extra call and making, take, doing that extra email, taking the extra 10, 20 minutes every single day is ultimately what's going to make the difference and get you something out of that. And it's the same from the client side of things. If they take the extra 10 minutes to tell me exactly what they want, exactly who they need, not a list of a thousand skills they want, but the exact experiences that are going to be impacted, then it just makes it better for both of us mm. having sort of that. So I think that's something that definitely relates to what you were saying in terms of the motor racing and something that mm. we apply. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's interesting. It's difficult because if I think back to twenty years ago on projects, people would all be on site. You know, there was no very little concept of being remote. Now that caused problems because we'd have people traveling great distances. Um, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to get to places. Particularly, you know, with utilities. One of the problems with utilities is that. A utility company tends to be where it's generating the electricity. So you can't just pick that up and say, oh, okay, we're going to bring that to London. You know, you can't just bring, you know, pick up a coal-powered fire sta- you know, coal-powered station and bring it somewhere else. Um, so, but what used to happen is people would go to those places, but then you would have this ecosystem where people were there and meeting and talking with each other, and you'd have this, you know, you talk about making the extra call. There'd be the water cooler chat, there'd be the, hey, you know, look, I'm struggling on this one, what can we do? Well, let's go down the pub and, and, and grab something to eat and have a Coca-Cola and chat about it, you know. So there's that side to it. Now, obviously, more and more people are remote. I think there's a benefit there because people actually, probably the quality of work's better because people are able to do that. But then there's that kind of loss of the of the, of the cooler talk. And and I think, you know, some of the sort of customer service side, if, if things were to improve, how do you actually recreate that ecosystem? It's very difficult to do. Um, you know, and, and I don't think there's a solution to that yet, you know, and, and, and Megan, you've seen sort of like the negative side of that with like being out in South Africa and Darley's seen the positive side with being based in the office with me. And it's those type of, uh, yeah, throwaway conversations almost that happen that you don't get part of. So how do customers deal with that? Well, part of that is that they're saying, well, we want people in the office one day a week or two day a week, two days a week. I think that that's a solution to the problem. I don't necessarily think it's the long-term solution, particularly when it comes to skills that are perhaps highly in demand and, and you know, the ecosystem is so so distributed internationally. Um, I think there's then a loss of, of knowledge if you just say that you only want people who are who are local because you're actually missing out on some good people who are elsewhere. Um, so there was a great tech thing to try and find, you know, how can we have it so that, you know, I've often said this, it'd be great to almost have a, an iPad, not your camera, because we're obviously using the camera for Zoom calls or WhatsApp calls or Teams calls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in some ways, it'd be nice just to have a camera that you can just feel part of the office because you see people coming in and out and you can hear some of the conversations and almost have that. Um, you know, and it's it's something different. But I don't think I don't think the technology is quite there. And no, I'm not going to go off and try and develop that one. Um, you know, I don't think that's I don't think I don't think that's my problem to have. But it's you know, how do how do people deal with that? And that's going to be an interesting thing going forward. I have really enjoyed this conversation and just diving a little bit more into really, Chris, your thoughts and really areas of expertise. You are very, very humble in the way that you present yourself. I know the skill set that you have have developed over all these decades is extraordinary. And every time I speak to you, I learn something new. So I've really enjoyed this chat and thank you. Thanks for giving your time. And I hope those that have tuned in over the holiday festive season enjoy it as well. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah, just just worries me, Chris. <laughs> when you when you when you say I've got decades of experience, you know, I mean, I guess I'm one of those people that's both got decades of millenniums. You know, I had last millennium and this millennium, so um, that 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 really makes me feel very old. But um, yeah, I guess it is. But no, thanks, guys. I've enjoyed that, and um, yeah, appreciate appreciate the questions, and hopefully you've all learned something. And thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thank thank you. you. All right. Take care. <laughs> Thank you.